topic of the talk that I will be giving is uh, on the management of malignant metastatic prostate cancer, and I'll be discussing uh, everything from imaging to therapy. And so I, I will say before I begin that as a radiation oncologist, I've been at UCSF for many years now. Um, and when I first came to UCSF, we actually didn't see oligometastatic prostate cancer as an entity. Um, I saw localized prostate cancer and I saw widely metastatic prostate cancer. Um, and over the course of the last few years, uh, from the advent of PET imaging, as Dr. Hope has described, I would say that now about a third of my patients have a logometastatic disease. And so this entity uh, is very much um, increasing in prevalence. Um, here are my disclosures. None are actually directly relevant today. But I want to begin with a question, and that is, what is oligometastatic disease? And it's actually defined as an intermediate state of cancer spread between localized disease and widespread metastasis. Um, and so, and the, there's no actual magic number to the number of metastasis uh, you need to have to be qual to qualify as oligometastatic disease. The word oligo means limited, and typically we say it's about one to five metastasis uh, that constitutes oligometastatic disease. And, and why do we why do we put so much weight on the definition of oligometastatic disease? And the answer is because we fundamentally believe that there are patients with oligometastatic disease that are curable. And what that means is that you know you, they get uh, some comprehensive form of treatment, and then five, ten years later, they don't have any evidence of disease. Now that probably ends up being just a minority of cases, but it is possible to cure some of these patients. Uh, you know, albeit um, probably a small percentage, and that's why that's why we focus on this disease space. And just kind of following up on Dr. Hope's talk, why has the oligometastatic space increased? Um, and the answer is because of the advent of PET imaging. And I show you kind of plots on the usage of PSMA PET when PET scans became available first at Melbourne uh, in Australia uh, at the Peter McCollum Cancer Center, and then secondly at UCSF. And what you can see is that you know, starting about five to seven years ago, uh, centers that had access to this technology uh, like ours started seeing an uptake in the utilization substantially. And now because of work led by uh, Tom Hope and Peter Carroll and collaborators at uh, UCLA, PSMA PET is now FDA approved uh, for use in, in, in prostate cancer and then Axman PET or Flucicobine, which Dr. Hope mentioned previously, is also uh, FDA approved as well. And so PET imaging actually has created the space of oligometastatic prostate cancer. And as Dr. Hope mentioned, PSMA PET identifies oligometastatic disease at low PSA recurrences. And this is our UCSF experience uh, where we took our first 125 patients who had PSA recurrences after prostatectomy. And I think the point to bring up is that 38% of these patients had a spot of prostate cancer found outside the pelvis and we don't usually radiate outside of the pelvis. And therefore, not surprisingly, 30% of these patients had a spot outside of a standard radiation field. So surely um, this is changing our practice. And so from what Dr. Hope presented and what I just spotlighted, I think the first conclusion we can make is that the increasing use of advanced PET imaging has led to an increased detection of a logometastatic disease. So this brings us to our next question, which is what is the best treatment approach for oligometastatic disease. And I want to actually slow down a little bit and go back to the biology of metastatic prostate cancer. So this was a study done a number of years ago um, where researchers were able to 
um, access autopsy samples from uh, prostate cancer patients who had uh, very generously donated uh, their samples. And these researchers have basically been able to get a sample of every piece of cancer in a patient's body um, and uh, have been able to do deep genomic sequencing to study those cancers. And the reason why deep genomic sequencing is useful as a tool is that it picks up all the mutations in a particular cancer. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to track which cancers came from which other spots in the body. So you can make maps of, okay, spot one came from spot two, spot two came from spot three, and so forth. And based on this, um, what the authors concluded is that both the primary tumor, which was the original tumor in the prostate, as well as uh, areas of metastatic disease in the areas in the bone or in lymph nodes or in the liver can seed or can spawn off new metastasis. And actually, the principal mode of spread is metastasis to metastasis. And therefore, to cure oligometastatic disease, one may need to uh, address both the primary cancer and also the metastasis as well. And so this leads us to kind of a three-pronged approach for managing oligometastatic prostate cancer. And the first is treatments directed at the prostate itself, and that could be either surgery or radiation. The second is metastasis-directed therapy, where we use radiation to treat um, areas of metastasis, or in the case of, let's say, public lymph nodes, those can be taken out surgically. And the third treatment approach is systemic therapy, meaning, in, in, in our case, next-generation androgen signaling inhibitors. And I'm going to go through these each point by point, but in the context of prostate-directed therapy, there was a trial called the Stampede trial, which I'll show you the results from, which was a randomized phase three trial of radiation versus no radiation in men with newly diagnosed metastatic prostate cancer. It was over 2,000 patients, 40% of which had a quote-unquote low metastatic burden that might be more congruent with the oligometastatic state. And so this is kind of data from the Stampede study. And on the top, you can see curves for what we call overall survival, which is whether patients lived or they didn't live. And on these curves, basically the higher the curve or the closer the curve is to the top of the graph, the better patients did. And so what you can see is that in men with low metastatic burden, patients who got radiation to the prostate shown in blue did better than patients who did not get radiation to the prostate shown in red, but that in patients with high metastatic burden, there really appears to be uh, no significant advantage of radiating um, the prostate. And the same can be said for failure-free survival, which is you know, how long the patients did before, let's say, the PSA started rising and so forth. Um, and so this trial, which basically was a large randomized trial, actually changed our practice because now we routinely recommend either radiation or surgery to the prostate for patients with limited metastatic prostate cancer, recognizing that there may be a survival benefit. So the next pillar of treatment I want to talk about is metastasis-directed therapy. And in that space, I want to actually point to two randomized trials, the STOMP trial and the Oriole trial. And both these studies were smaller studies that randomized patients with limited metastatic disease to radiation to the metastasis or no radiation to the metastasis. And I'm going to highlight one of them today, just in the interest of time, the Oriole trial. And again, this was a study in a little bit over 50 patients that randomized about a third of the patients to observation and two-thirds of the patients to stereotactic ablative radiation therapy, also known as SBRT or SAVR, SABR, um, to the sites of metastatic disease. And again, on these curves, the higher the curve is or the closer the curve, the line is to the top of the screen, 
the better the patients did. And so blue did better than red here. And blue are the patients who got um, radiation to their metastasis. Red is patients uh, who did not. Um, and I think this is this is really important because this actually has led us to now starting to offer radiation to the metastasis um, for patients with limited metastatic disease. Um, I want to point out that the majority of patients who get the radiation may not necessarily be cured, but at the same time, the, the premise of radiation is perhaps we can either delay initiation of hormone therapy or for patients who are on hormone therapy, uh, extend the duration of response to that agent. Now, what was interesting about this trial was that patients were defined as having oligometastatic disease based on conventional imaging, meaning CT scan or bone scan, but they also ended up getting PSMA PET scans. Now, sometimes uh, for, uh, for patients, the, the results from the PSMA PET scan are the same as for a CT scan and bone scan, but sometimes they're different. And so there were actually uh, uh, some patients where, let's say on the left here, they were found to have two spots of cancer based on a CT scan, but then on PSMA PET, they had three spots. Um, but on this particular trial, they were treated based on the CT scan and not on the PET scan. And this allowed us basically to uh, come up with two populations of patients, one that basically had what we call total consolidation, meaning all the spots seen on PSMA PET were radiated versus those that had subtotal consolidation where the spots on CT scan were radiated, but there happened to be an extra spot seen on PSMA PET. And what you can see based on the oral study is that patients um, uh, who received uh, uh, SBRT had variable coverage of PSMA, uh, PSMA detected spots. But the, basically, I think the main take home point is that patients who had all their spots seen on PSMA PET radiated to better than patients who only had some of the spots radiated. And that's the difference between blue and red. Again, blue is better than red on, in this case. Um, and so this suggests that not only should we be radiating metastatic disease in patients with limited metastasis, but if we do, we should try to treat all the areas of disease that we can see. And then the last point I want to bring up is kind of systemic consolidative therapy, um, which is basically, uh, in, in, in this case, I'm going to talk about using more powerful um, hormone therapies than standard first-line androgen deprivation therapy. And the data from that is from the management of what I term be high-risk prostate cancer, which is non-metastatic prostate cancer patients, but they're non-metastatic because likely they don't have PSMA PET. And so again, I'm going to point to the STAMP trial. And this is a data that was presented a year ago by one of my friends, uh, Gert Attard, um, out of the United Kingdom. And this, again, was a large trial that randomized patients with high-risk non-metastatic prostate cancer to either androgen deprivation therapy shown in the black line or androgen deprivation therapy with the addition of uh, androgen signaling inhibitors, abiraterone and enzalutamide. Um, and so what you can see here is that actually patients who received the more powerful hormone blockade actually did better than patients who uh, received standard hormone therapy. Um, I want to point out that these patients, again, were non-metastatic by conventional imaging with CT scan and bone scan, but they were likely oligometastatic. They just didn't have PSMA PET. And so this suggests that there's a subset of patients that maybe we want to consider intensification of systemic therapy for. Now, I've shown you kind of data for why we should treat the prostate, why we should think about treating um, the sites of limited metastasis, and that maybe we should also think about intensifying systemic therapy. But I also want to point out that um, all patients are different. So I'm going 
that tell you a tale of two patients. And so the first patient, they, they actually had similar presentations but different outcomes. And so the first patient was a patient who had surgery for his prostate cancer in 2007. And then he ended up having a PSA recurrence that was treated with salvage radiation therapy and a short course of hormone therapy in 2013. And this was done at another center. Um, but then in 2017, he presented with oligometastatic disease um, in the left pubic ramus, which is a bone of the pelvis, with a slowly rising PSA. And at that point in time, he saw me. And this was a picture of his PET scan. And in red, you can see the area of the, uh, the, the oligometastasis, the spot in his pelvis. And what happened was that when I saw him in 2017, I was able to obtain the a CT scan from an outside hospital that was performed in 2013. And what you can see here is that the spot of cancer that was there in 20, that I saw in 2017 was actually there in 2013. Um, and in that intervening period from 2013 to 2017, he actually had no treatment. And so this patient had a single detectable site of metastasis despite almost no treatment over four years. He had no uh, emergence of additional metastasis during this period. Um, and so I ended up radiating the spot and now we are five years later. Um, he hasn't had any treatment since that radiation. Um, his PSA is undetectable. Um, and, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that perhaps he is cured. But right now, things are looking very good for him uh, after being treated with just a single course of radiation. Now, I have patient two to show you here who actually had a very similar presentation as well. Also was after, uh, ha had surgery, also recurred, also was treated with salvage radiation and short-term androgen deprivation therapy. And also you can see had a very similar appearance of a metastasis actually in the same bone, the left pubic ramus. And I radiated the spot in, in January of 2017. And literally in February of 2017, his PSA rose and he had three other spots pop up in the pelvis. And so again, uh, what I will say is that you know, one of the most difficult aspects of treating oligometastatic prostate cancer is right now we don't have a great sense of who is going to um, respond very well to the radiation uh, for a very long uh, period and who will progress through the radiation. And again, th th it's not really an issue of where we radiate in terms of the cancer progressing, it's where we don't radiate. It's almost certain that sometimes the cancer pops up elsewhere. And again, um, this brings me to the point that not all oligometastatic disease is the same. And so patient one that I talked about, you know, the disease we saw was all the disease that was probably there in his body. We radiated this, we got rid of the tip of the iceberg, he did well. And for these patients, we should think about intensification of what I turned to be a local therapy, radiation or surgery for the, process, for the primary and for the metastasis. But patient two, I showed you, I, I, maybe I got rid of the tip of the iceberg, but then everything else popped to the surface. And so for patient two, maybe we should think about intensification of systemic therapy with hormone therapy. Um, and as, uh, as many of our previous speakers have mentioned, uh, our mission here at UCSF is to improve uh, patient care, either coming up with new therapies or also um, trying to come up with better biomarkers to identify patients that may or may not respond to particular therapies. And so uh, working with uh, um, kind of investigators from both the Oreo and the STOMP trial, the two studies of radiation to the sites of metastasis that I mentioned to you, um, we went back and uh, uh, did genomic sequencing on cancer samples from those patients. And what we found was that uh, metastasis-directed therapy, meaning radiation to metastasis, may work better in patients without 
quote unquote high risk mutations uh, in their cancers. I'm sorry, there's a typo here. And the high risk mutations are defined as somatic mutations in ATM, BRCA1, 2, RB, or P53. And again, patients who had these mutations shown in blue did worse than patients who did not have these mutations shown in red when treated with radiation to the sites of metastatic disease. So in conclusion, a look at metastatic disease is increasingly diagnosed due to advances in molecular imaging. Treatment and intensification approaches involve local therapy to the primary tumor, metastasis-directed therapy, and intensification of systemic therapy. And ultimately, we need randomized clinical trials to, de to determine the importance of each. We already have a large randomized trial that tells us that we should radiate the primary tumor, meaning the prostate, uh, in the context of oligometastatic disease, and there are ongoing studies uh, regarding other forms of treatment intensification. But ultimately, better predictors of less aggressive versus more aggressive oligometastatic disease are needed, and that's what we're currently spending a lot of effort uh, trying to predict. And I'd like to acknowledge all the collaborators here at UCSF. We have a wonderful team uh, of, uh, of, of clinicians um, and researchers here. Thank you. <laughs>